Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the 2020 MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Bobby Rizzo, and I'm a first-year MBA student at, MB at MIT Sloan. And it is my pleasure today to introduce our panel, Player Empowerment, I've Got the Power. Our panelists today are Kendrick Perkins, NBA champion and ESPN analyst, Stephen A. Smith, featured commentator for ESPN's First Take and host of the NBA show Sports Center with Stephen A. Smith, Michael Rubin, executive chairman of, Fan of Fanatics and co-owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, and our panel will be moderated by Jackie McMullen, award-winning writer and reporter for ESPN. The panel will run 45 minutes in length, and we'll leave 10 minutes at the end for questions and answers. Any questions you want to submit, please submit via Twitter using our hashtag player empowerment. Those submissions with the most mentions will be selected by our moderator to be asked during the Q&A session. And with that, I'll turn it over to Jackie. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. We have a really shy panel today. <laughs> I just don't know if we can get the dialogue going, but we're going to try. So um, player empowerment, before we start, I do just want to give a brief, very brief history lesson of the Oscar Robertson rule, which is really when player empowerment began. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, in the 60s, there was a rule passed after Oscar Robertson took the NBA to court in an antitrust suit that said that players no longer have to be to play for the same team. Think about this. You had to play for the same team. You had no recourse until Oscar Robertson changed that rule. So that's where player empowerment began. That's a long time ago. But Stephen A., when we were talking backstage, you said to me that player empowerment to you means something different than you think it does to the rest of us. Explain what you mean by that. Well, you know, what I was trying to say is somebody has to explain the definition of power to me. Um, what I mean by that is that if you are a player, and you have to play under a rookie wage scale mm -hmm. and give about four to five years of your career before you can venture into free agency. And then the opportunity exists for you to move forward. But if you leave, you, you get less than if you stayed with the team. Sure. You may not want to stay with any longer because they have your rights. Who really, really has the power? It's one thing to have influence. You have reach, you have cachet, you speak, people listen. They recognize what you're saying. It might resonate, resonate with them in the court of public opinion. But in terms of the true power, you know, that's one of the reasons why I say on TV religiously, there's a difference between those who cut the check and those who cash it. And I think that that's important to point out when you think about today's players. Certainly they have, they're earning more money than they ever did before. There's no denying that. Uh, but in terms of true, true power, it still lies where it's always lied. You know, it's funny. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here and just say, I think players have more power than they've ever had because of social media. I think that's a great thing because I think players have the ability to directly talk to their fans right. and fans in general, and they can shape um, what they want to say and the way they want to say it. I think that's creating tremendous value for players. So I think in 2020 versus, you know, you think about it, if Michael Jordan had social media, think about how Michael, big Michael Jordan was without social media. If this guy had social media, I don't even know if you can, you know, get your head around it. So from my, from my perspective. Or there's a, there's a, a downside to that too. Well, yeah, I, 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 I don't think there is. I think, I think these guys generally use this to really benefit themselves. I'm, okay, I'm, not, but I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that. What I'm saying is, let's hypothetically use Michael Jordan as an example. If the late Jerry Krause, God rest his soul, was the GM and he said, I still want you gone. What Michael Jordan gonna do about that? He's gonna land someplace else. He's gonna get paid, but in the NBA culture, you couldn't get paid the same from somewhere else that you could get paid from the Chicago Bulls. It's not gonna stop Jerry Krause from making the decision. It's not gonna stop Jerry Reinstorf from endorsing and supporting that decision, right. which means that ultimately Michael Jordan could have all the support in the world that he wants, but he doesn't get to necessarily control his destiny. That's all I mean by that. So Kendrick, I wanna bring you in in terms of social media, which I do think is a very powerful tool because I hear it from players all the time, the idea of directly 
you know, commented in talking with these fans, but that can backfire. And I think Kevin Durant's a pretty good example. <laughs> do I have to talk about Kevin Durant? You do, hon. I, I mean, I'm trying to get our relationship back together. I mean, I, but- Good luck with that. You know firsthand, right? Good luck with that. I know. But uh, now in all seriousness, just to, to touch on a player empowerment, I think, you know, I'm from a, a younger generation. Obviously, Stephen A is old school, and we always get into it about that. Even before I go on his show first take in the morning, he threatened to kick me off every time I go. But that's, that's a whole nother story. Well, I but, just tell you you're going to lose, but go ahead. No, I don't lose. But guess what? We're in Boston today. I won the championship here. You're in my city, so you're going to lose. So at the end of the day... I want to touch on the player empowerment, and to me, just, just a quick side note, Jackie, I think when we look in today's league, uh, it's, it's a player's league. Um, LeBron James is the face, the logo of player empowerment. Absolutely. Uh, in my opinion, he set the tone of not only dictating where he could go and go and play and take his talents, but he dictated, he also set the tone for us calling decisions or going to general managers and saying, hey, I want this guy on my team, which was probably never done back in the day. Um, he also did a, great, do a, do a, did a great job of building the dream team. When you look at all the guys around him, you know, a lot of guys that, you know, so-called that players have their entourage, they be there, but they, they really don't serve a purpose. Everyone that's around LeBron James serve a purpose, from Rich Paul to Mav to all that. So touching back to the social media thing, it was about a month ago, and I was reading, of course, I, I love to be on Twitter. I think Twitter catches me up before, you know, way before CNN news. I think everything hits Twitter before the news, right? So I was looking, and I, and I seen that LeBron James, last year, he made $92 million off of Instagram posts, meaning somebody, hey, Bron, can you post this for me? Absolutely. It's going to cost you $300,000 wow. just for me to post this on my IG. But I do think, in a way, and let me touch on Kevin Durant. What happened with Kevin Durant was, was that he was in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, I was there with him. You know, Sam Presti, great GM. He grew up under the great, under the great Greg Popovich in the San Antonio Spurs culture. Very strict. Um, he had guys always watching our social medias all the time. So we could never really say nothing or be ourselves. And what ended up happening for us with KD's situation is when he left Oklahoma City, everybody keeps saying, oh, it was because of Russ. But it wasn't because of Russ. See, he left Oklahoma City because he got tired of basically, you know, not being able to be himself. So when he got to Golden State, he was still himself, although he was hiding behind a burner account. He was still himself, though, and he was able to let out. His other be, self. Right, and be free. Okay, so once he got caught up in a burner account, so he was like, okay, whatever. Now I could just still lash out. But the thing is, is that social media is great for the players today. I wish... We had it back in 2003. I wish I had it when I was in high school because now high school kids' social media, they have Zion Williamson had a million followers in high school, right? I mean, it's crazy. So, you know, but it also could be bad. Like, if you don't have the right people around you to tell you, hey, don't tweet this out or don't send this message, it could hurt it's you. It's bad when it's not authentic. The point is it's got to be authentic. When someone's telling you you can't do this, that's when it's not good. I take, look at Joel Embiid on our team. He, like, he, social media can actually fuel him at times. He'll literally, he'll motivate himself by, you know, creating drama that he then turns into playing better. I mean, so from my perspective, the biggest thing about social media is it has to be authentic and it has to be real. No and, offense, though, Joel Embiid is drama. He don't and, have to create And, 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 and you know what? By, by the way, okay. in a lot of ways, you're right, and that <laughs> motivates him. Right. And you got to right. know that about him. you got to understand that with guys. If someone... He gets motivated by drama, then sometimes they need a little bit of drama to motivate him. Right. And it's so, kind of funny because Joel is actually an introvert. I mean, really, when he's... I haven't seen that side of him. Oh, I, I mean, think when he's... When you talk about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, I think sometimes people get them confused in that Joel is... He's an extrovert on social media and all that yeah. and, and mm. playing to the crowd. 
But when the when the lights get turned off, Joel's the one that goes home and plays video games and hangs the, out with his family, the, the, and that, Ben's that, the one well, that's yes. on the poolside well, with Kendall Jenner. Let me say this. Let me say this. Their authenticity matters. Uh, being genuine, being real. But you can be authentically and real, stupid, <laughs> ignorant, <laughs> ill-informed. You know, these things can work against you. And when we talk about folks having access and having reach, I can point to a plethora of situations where it's the worst possible thing that could have happened to them. And it may have cost individuals money. Mm -hmm. It may have diminished their level of cachet. Because the more they talked and exposed themselves over social media, the more flagrantly idiotic they appeared. Can you give us an example? No, I won't do that here. Hey, well, but hold on, hold on. Hey, I won't do that. Let me, let me ask you a question. Sure. Do you believe that social media in totality has created a lot of value Absolutely. Right. And that's right. for everybody. Right. Yeah. That's right. And I wonder if you can speak to that, Michael, because you've been so involved that with Fanatics and also your team. And I think you were telling me about how you can actually track players' popularity and success in real time, right? Well, by the way, I'll tell you, um, you know, maybe the, the biggest thing that, that I've watched social media do and something I was directly in, involved with was when, you know, when, when, when Meek Mill was in prison and so many NBA players came to his rescue, every time they posted something on social media that drove media. That helped to get him out of prison. I'd say the number one thing that got Meek out of prison was everyone who came to help him through social media, whether it was Robert Kraft is sitting in front of us right. and his visit, how we amplified that on social media, or whether it was LeBron James or James Harden when he came to see him. Yeah. So, and we, by the way, we tracked it like crazy. We would see, you know, how many articles did it drive? You know, how, how much interaction was it? Mm -hmm. And that was singly, I mean, you know, that was the single biggest reason that we were able to, to you know, get the outcome that we did with him. And by the way, in our fanatics business, which is obviously a completely analytical business, right. um, you know, for us, every moment that happens in sports, we turn that into, you know, we take the content of sports and turn those into merchandising moments, and that's all done through, you know, social media is a big driver of that. So can you give us, like, a, again, I'm an example person. This is my job. Yeah, you know, um, Joel has 49 points in a game last week, and, you know, we're... Three minutes later, doing posts on social media. You know, we're communicating with our customers on every, you know, communications forum, right. promoting <laughs> the alchemy out in the game and using that to drive sales of his product. Okay, that's great. You know, we talked earlier too uh, behind stage about Ben Simmons, and he there was an incident. I guess was it last summer? I think in Australia, where he was with uh, two of his friends. One was white, one was African American, and they uh, the white. Friend went through, and, and Ben and the, and the African American friend had trouble getting into the club, and he posted that on social media. And it was kind of a controversial thing, but you were you were saying that you thought it was a great way for him to express. Look, himself. look, I truly believe. I see people do dumb things on social media all the time. I've done a few myself. I'm, I want to, you know, I don't think anyone has exclusivity on that. But in general, I think social media has been great because it allows um, it allows our players, it allows um, celebrities, people with followings to communicate things that are important to them. And so long as what they're communicating is authentic and real, mm -hmm. I think it can help bring light to situations. So, I, you know, you talked about LeBron, and I agree, you know, everything you said about him, plus some. You see LeBron take on so many issues, and he uses social media. And the thing about LeBron that I think is actually great, he won't do anything, he won't post anything, whether being paid and making a lot of money from it or not, that's not completely authentic for him. And so if someone just says, do something and I'm going to pay you 300 grand, I don't think LeBron's doing it if it's not on brand for him. What mm -hmm. I generally see is, um, you know, guys like Ben who have issues who want to express themselves using social media as an effective way to do that. And I generally think that's a really good thing. It doesn't mean that you don't have some cringe moments. You don't have times when you're like, oh, God, how did this just happen? Yeah. But that also comes out in relationships. If you have the right relationships with people, and life is all about relationships, then you can fix those things. You can sure. communicate with people and not tell people, oh, you can't do this. But, no. hey, by the way, do you think this was the best idea? And sometimes people say, I don't care. I've heard what you have to say. But you have a good relationship. You generally work through these things. And to be honest, Jackie, to touch on social media, it actually landed me, it actually put me in place to be successful in my second career, although I'm just starting as an ESPN analyst, um, I used Twitter last year during the course of games, and I was tweeting my own play-by-play. -play. Well, all of a sudden, it just started picking up. It started picking up. All of a sudden, I look in my DMs, and I get a DM from a producer from Fox. All of a sudden, I get a DM from a producer from ESPN, and then that's how I was able to 
you know, walking the door. And next thing I know, I'm on first take with the great Stephen A. Smith, and he trying to continue. Hey, fix your face. I told you about your attitude. I told you this morning. I told you this morning. I'm in no mood this morning. In your words, I'm in no mood. So I want to bring something else up, because I think um, player empowerment has included now a financial portfolio for these players outside of basketball, or off the court, let's just say. Again, I'm going to use LeBron as an example, because I think his in uninterrupted has, been do has done exactly the way I would do it. I think it's very successful. The content is thought-provoking. It's relevant. But then there are some other, other players that have tried to do the same thing that it isn't so thought-provoking. It isn't so successful. And I wonder, we'll start with you, Kendrick, on that. Just player empowerment is one thing, but can it be overdone? Yes, it can. I mean, and it's, when you talk about players, it's all about surrounding yourself with the right people. Right. Like, that's, that's, that's it, clear cut. Like, it's making sure you have the right people around you. And you know, the old saying is, is that you want people around you that's gonna tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. And that sometimes that be the problem. Um, and, and, it, and social media and, you know, uh, player empowerment have got certain guys in trouble for as certain guys not getting contracts and, and not understanding, you know, that and not being honest with themselves for as their value. Like, you know, certain guys saying, oh, I'm not taking uh, $94 million. I want 105. Like, really? Like, what can you do? What can't you do with 94 that you can't do with 105? I mean, it's just bad guidance at the end of the day. And, you know, sometimes I remember my first time I signed my contract and, well, my second contract. I, I got traded from Boston and went to Oklahoma City. And before I even played a game, um, Sam Presley pulled me in his office and he said, hey, hey Kendrick, uh, you know, we want to extend you. Uh, we don't even want to wait until you become a free agent. So I said, well, let's talk, Sam. What's going on? He said, uh, I want to give you a four-year, $40 million contract. I said, well, I need to sign that, right? So then on the other hand, Bob Myers, who was my agent at the time, who I love to death, he's like, Burke, man, no, listen. Listen to me. Wait out, wait out. I'm telling you, I could get you five-year, 55. Now, I'm coming off an ACL injury, right. an MCL injury, and I'm like, you know what? I just watched a guy by the name who, who's one of my brothers, Aaron Brooks, who turned down a four-year, $36 million deal in Phoenix, somehow got hurt and never recovered. And I was like, you know, my grandpa used to tell me, I'm, I was raised in the country by my grandparents. And he was like, I called him and he said, you know, you never pass up some for show trying to get some more. So I just went on to buy it like that. Like that. <laughs> So Stephen A, with player empowerment, obviously comes player <coughs> movement. Uh, again, LeBron always made his move at the end of his contract, but we know now, I think it was uh, five of the 16 All-NBA players, five of the 15 All-NBA players, or maybe six from last year, changed teams. And some of them were under contract and some of them were free agents. Kyrie Irving had every right to leave Boston. Mm -hmm. He was a free agent. Mm -hmm. Paul George, had just signed a deal with Oklahoma City and forced a trade. So how do you feel about that? Well, see, I think that <clears throat> there's really no need to have this discussion if LeBron James is the example that everybody uses because there's only one LeBron James. Last time I checked, there's a debate <laughs> as to whether or not he's the greatest in the world. He's on the Mount Rushmore in basketball history. Excuse me, in the age of social media and beyond, he's got tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, of social media followings. Last time I checked, everybody ain't LeBron James. Not now, let's be very, very clear. You look at the top 10 salaries in the NBA. Steph Curry signing for 201 million. Russell Westbrook, 206. Um, you know, LeBron James is in the top 10 in terms of salary, tied for fourth in terms of pay this season is John Wall at $38.2 million with James Harden <laughs> and Kevin Durant. But those are the aberrations. Last time I checked, there's 450 plus players in the National Basketball Association. Give me, go past the top eight or 10 and then talk to me about power. You can have influence. We understand the advent of social media has had a profound impact. We can't ignore all of that. But the flip side to it is that you gotta pay attention to those who cut the checks, who have the real power, and understand the residual impact that it could potentially have. For example, LeBron James move, player movement. It's a beautiful thing, right? I loved it. 
especially since he went to South Beach, because it's one of my favorite places. <laughs> I mean, Lake Erie, South Beach, you tell me what, we, what you choose. I know what I choose. <laughs> but understand something. He decides to leave. Fine. But he never picked up the phone and called Dan Gilbert. Oh, Dan Gilbert found out on television like the rest of us. So what does Dan Gilbert do? He raises holy hell. And the second David Stern, God rest his soul, the de facto owner of the Hornets at that particular moment in time, had an opportunity to let a trade go through involving Chris Paul. Dan Gilbert writes this letter and talking about what are we, the Washington Nationals for crying out loud, raises holy hell and all of a sudden David Stern nicks that deal. Not to say that that was the deciding factor. I'm not trying to imply that. I'm saying there's a residual impact that transcends LeBron James. LeBron James might have been able to move, but you know this because you cover the ball, the sport so exceptionally well, Jackie. What were those collective bargaining negotiations like in the aftermath of LeBron James deciding to go to Miami? All of a sudden, you talked about basketball-related income being diminished. You talked about owners and the league being fixated on gaining a level of control that would definitely stem the tide of player movement and what have you. So we might see an Anthony Davis years later move. We might see a Russell Westbrook move. We might see a Kevin Durant move, et cetera, et cetera. But the person that some people accuse of instigating all of this is a guy by the name of LeBron James who honored his contract every well, single time. It. First that's seven it. years in Cleveland, then he became a free agent. Goes to Miami, served four years, then he became a free agent. Goes back to Cleveland, becomes a free agent. Decides to go to L.A. as a free agent. He never forced his way out of anything. But people look at him because of how he handled that situation, departing from Cleveland, right. and said, you know what? There's a level of control that we must exercise. Now, whether people are willing to admit that or not is another story. But I know what I was told. See? Right. But and that's see, what that's it comes a, down to. The whole thing with that, too, is that it's the small market. It goes right. back to the problems with the small well, market. Well, I, I also think, honestly, in business, in life, in sports, relationships are everything. That's right. Absolutely. And I got to tell you something. For an owner to be surprised by a player movement means the relationship and foundation, or, or for the organization to be surprised, means the right relationship wasn't there. Right. I actually think, when you talk about, um, you know, players having, you know, more power than ever, I also think a good culture in a good one-run sports team should take advantage of that. And that's when you look at, if you put teams in the three categories of perennial winners, teams in the middle, and perennial losers, good ownership takes advantage of that. They figure out how to build a culture the players want to come to. Yeah, but, okay, the but, me, that, but, but the problem was, with that is that, see, somebody like yourself, I think you're building an exceptional culture in Philadelphia. But I'm right. a New Yorker, where James yeah, Dolan you're, resides you're, you're, as the owner of the New York Knicks. <laughs> okay, and I got a, there's a whole but, different twist to all of and, that. And by the way, and I, we, we joke about that, but I'm yeah. serious. We should look at that. That should be an opportunity okay, but, for Philadelphia. But here's and the, by the way, you look at that in New York, and well, New York's New York. But here's an example. So Kawhi Leonard, whatever happens in San Antonio, someday we might actually find out. He forces his way out. But, Jackie, don't... That, Let me continue. Don't sugarcoat it, though. Just say Popovich dropped the ball. It's okay. We I'm not, I'm not convinced. No, I don't know I'm what saying. happened. We praise the great Popovich, but we don't criticize him. When Clearly, he, I don't he, know what happened there. He dropped the you ball. You know, good for you, because okay, I don't. Okay, cool. Anyway, go he goes on to Toronto. <laughs> he is a pain, isn't he? You just we go on to Toronto. Do we have to talk about Toronto today? Yeah, I know. I am. I'm, I'm not a Toronto. person. Guys, just try to stick with me here. sorry. So... The ADD is fully kicking in. Kawhi goes to Toronto... Talk about a great culture. So great that the great New York Knicks wanted to pry Messiah Yuseri that took that culture away, okay? They win a championship, and Kawhi leaves anyway. So that's sort of my point. Kawhi goes because he wanted to go to L.A. That's where he wanted to return to. I've asked this question rhetorically a couple times this season. Would Kawhi Leonard have had the same chance or better of winning a championship well, if he had stayed in Toronto? Well, my, re my response to that would be, yes, he would have had just as good, if not a better chance, because right. the Eastern Conference, no disrespect, is a little bit weaker than the West. We all know this. That's number one. Number two, let's also understand and get back to the empowerment issue, Jackie. You mm -hmm. know this. Kawhi Leonard, whether he was sincere or not, his people approached Masai Ujiri and said, excuse me, we want Paul George. Can you get Paul George to right. Toronto? If you get Paul George to Toronto, I will stay. If you don't, I will leave. And Masai said, 
Hell no. We're going to hold on because in order to let, in order to acquire Paul George, right. okay, he had to let go of Pascal Siakam, which he was not willing to do. I wouldn't So either. it turns out that you look at Pascal Siakam, he's an all-star, averaging nearly 25 a game, playing well. Toronto's the second best team in the Eastern Conference, at least for the moment. And it turned out to be the right decision. My point to you is Kawhi Leonard was in a position to make a suggestion. And yeah. in the end, if you did, it, he decided whether he wanted to go or not, but he didn't dictate what Toronto did, Masai did. Right. But Kawhi held, had held Toronto hostage to a degree, and the Lakers and the Clippers. And I don't think that's bad because his contract was up. Right. The objection I have is when Paul George signs a deal with Oklahoma City and then decides. And, and the only thing I'm saying is I think the best-run sports organizations in any league, anywhere in the world, can look at that as an opportunity. Because when LeBron decided where he wanted to go and he went to Miami the first time, part of his evaluation, I'm sure, was what did he think about the organization? Yes. Not just oh, I want to be in Miami. Of course. And you talked about the Knicks. I didn't. But, you know, how would LeBron feel? <laughs> I'll ask you. How would LeBron feel about making that decision with New York? He would probably, what would he, you tell me what he would say. <laughs> he would have thrown up every day. Right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for saying it, not making me say it. Yeah. So to me, a well-run sports organization can take advantage of this and create an environment culture where players want to come to and then build the relationships <laughs> where right. you have less incidents. I apologize okay, but here's... for bringing up the Knicks, but I just want to let everybody I know. I enjoyed, that. actually. For those of you, I made a mistake bringing up the Knicks because for those of you, if you like me at all, <laughs> please... Don't torture me about the New York Knicks anymore. It's I'm pretty so hard. Pretty depressed. hard. Did you see the attendance at the game the other night? <laughs> yes. Okay. It was we, we like 3,200 we... less. It was the lowest crowd they've had in 13, 13 and a half years. years because the billionaire petulant owner decides <laughs> to alienate your number one fan, your number one season ticket holder, paying $3,400 a game, $300,000 a year, has paid in excess of $10 million on tickets, and this is the dude you want to get on his nerve by insisting he come through a different door. See, I just hey, want you to know he can come hey, in the ploy. And by the way, there's no good anytime. door to hey, go in anyway. But Jack, right now, this, this right here, see, this is when I changed Stephen A. Smith to Stephen A. Jakes because he's speaking the gospel. <laughs> so, but I'm, so let's talk about good organizations again. Let's go to Oklahoma City. Nobody's upset about Oklahoma City. I think a very well-run organization. We talked about Sam Preston for sure. before. They are. They Look are. what they did. They had, they had no choice, really, but to trade Paul. Oh, you, um, is that, you don't have to raise your hand, Stephen A. Let me say this. Let me say this. <clears throat> and I'm saying this with somebody that I love dearly. Mr. Kraft is sitting right here in the front row, the owner for the New England Patriots. Let me say this. We have to get to a point where we decide, just like I'm asking us to recognize the difference between uh, uh, power and influence, mm -hmm. I'm asking us to recognize the difference between very good and great. In the world of sports, at some point in time, you got to close the deal. Right. I personally am a fan of Sam Presti. I think he's, he's a hell of an executive. I think mm -hmm. he's done a hell of a job. If, he, if he's listening somewhere, I mean, no disrespect. Here it comes. But the man, <laughs> in his years as an executive, he has had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, Reggie Jackson. At one time, they were all on the team at the same time. Kendrick Perkins. Kendrick Perkins. Okay, all right. Keep Let me going. say this. <laughs> This is why it's important, because as a fan, we understand if you stink. Look, I'd be ecstatic if the Knicks just got to a playoff, okay? But if you knocking on the door, he doesn't use this words, Mr. Kraft, but he believes in closing the deal. You don't use those words, but I know you believe in closing the deal. At some point in time, mm. is the standard competing? Or is the standard closing? So when you have somebody who has never closed and y'all are willing to say, great, I would say, could we pump the brakes on it just a touch? Give me Mr. Kraft and I'm hearing you on greatness. Give me somebody who's never won a title and I'm going to say, you're very good. Okay, here's the counter to that. And it gets back to the whole idea of a small market team. 
do players want to stay in a small market team? And the great litmus test is going to happen this summer, in my opinion. But, but, by, by the way, the answer is some do and some, some don't. don't. Right. He's right. And, and you know, and and you know, and, and you know if you're in a small market, you better make sure that your organization builds a spectacular relationship and does everything they can right. to make that market their home. Because there's no question that being in Oklahoma City is more complicated than being in New York. But look at New York's results, look at Oklahoma City's results. So, would you, you know, so from my perspective, you have to deal with the deck that you're dealt. And you have to figure out how to make it the best situation right. that you can. But I think the litmus test becomes Giannis this summer because he, they've done everything they can possibly can to create a great culture there. They're on a record-setting pace. Um, Let me say this to you. Point. And I, I said this first. Oh. I apologize. Finished. I apologize. Okay, thank you. So that seems sincere, by the way. No, I know. Well, we're sincere. friends. We've it known each sincere. other a long time. So if they win, if they get to the finals, that might even be enough. And they extend him this summer. That's one thing. If they lose in the second round again, if I'm Giannis, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, I'm looking around. I got to make a decision. I'm told if he doesn't get to the finals, he's leaving. Right. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not because I don't talk to Giannis like that. I don't, I don't, I don't frequent Milwaukee too much. But, but that's what I'm making been, my point for but, me. But, but that's what I've been told. The point is, is that when you're a small market team, you've got to be in a position to compete for a championship. But in this case with Milwaukee, I think what changes it is that they're having a record season. They are. And so because you're having a record season, fresh off of losing four straight games in the Eastern Conference Finals, the last time we saw them, they were losing four straight to Kawhi and Toronto. If you follow that up this year by coming up short, and the prospects of you getting a marquee free agent to join uh, Giannis is pretty close to zero, right. okay? Then he might have to make a decision. Right. Particularly if somehow, some way, the Golden State Warriors, who will return next year with Klay Thompson and Steph Curry, okay? And, and, do a, wood. and a very high draft pick. And do what? And a high draft pick. I'm saying. And, and do what? Do what? What do you mean? I mean, you said that like you pointed at the crowd, the Golden State, and do what? I think that Golden State would be a top three team in the West. They will not be a top oh, three team. Well, you don't know who they're going to. You don't know what they're going to. This is a whole nother. That's a whole nother. I'm not arguing We're not even about to go there. But. Greatest shooting backcourt in the history of basketball. Yeah, that, um, Stop. Yeah. So, Michael, let's, Stop. let's talk about the Sixers, your right. team. I'm going to try to. Do we have to separate you two? No, no, no. Uh, I realize there's no value. I can add to that conversation. Right. None. None. Uh, but let's talk about the Sixers. You have two franchise pieces, I would say, Joel and Ben. And look at Stephen A. looking at you. He's getting in position. I'm the same way, And man. there's a lot of debate about whether they can succeed together. Uh, the numbers are great. Kirk Goldsberry, I don't know if he's in the, in the crowd, wrote a great piece explaining exactly why they can. But I wonder, as, an, as, a, as a partner of that team, how frustrating it is. You know these two pieces are great pieces. I know you're close with both players. I think their, their relationship is completely overblown. I don't think there's any animosity. I don't think they're best friends, but I don't believe there's animosity after spending time with them. So state of the Sixers at this time with these two great pieces, can it work? So in general, as the, um, as the third large donor of the team, not the first or second, I generally don't talk about you know, deep sixer stuff. What I will okay. say is a couple things. One, um, any noise about their relationship not being good is bullshit, okay? I can tell you, their relationship is strong. They have good mutual respect for each other. Yep. And I've seen people that had a lot less successful relationships be a lot more success, have incredible success. So their relationship is, 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 is are definitely good and strong. And I certainly believe and this is only my personal perspective, I think you have two incredible talents that uh, absolutely can and have the potential to do incredible things for a long period of time together. So I'm now ready for you, um, either one of you. No, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let him go first. Go ahead. So here's my take on the 76ers, right? I agree with you. I think that it could work. I think that business- I knew you were a smart guy, by the way. No, I, 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 no I'm serious. Like, it could work. Like, you can't get rid of either, either one of those guys. You gotta make it work. My thing is with the 76ers is that, and you know, I, I, I speak it how I feel, is, uh, is Brett Brown. And the reason is, is that <clears throat> you have to put guys in position to be successful. Am I correct? As a coach, you have to put guys in position to be successful. You have to put Ben Simmons in, a, in position to be, it, sh it shouldn't be no reason that 
when Ben Simmons goes out, Joel and B numbers go through the roof. When Joel goes out, Ben Simmons at a MVP type conversation. No, you have to make that work together. And here's another thing. I think the CBA hurt veterans, guys like myself, and this is the reason why. Because although the money went up from like 1.4 million to 2.4 million, people are saying, I'm not trying to pay a vet debt and pay the luxury tax on top of that. Well, you need a vet in that locker room. Like, for example, if you had a guy, a vocal leader, and Jared Dudley that was in that 76ers locker room right now, it would be apples and oranges. Like, it would be night and day. You could, you, a guy that's going to hold people accountable, a guy that Joel and Ben Simmons will respect, he know how to approach guys like he's doing with Kyle Kuzma right now, mm -hmm. keeping his head mm -hmm. above water, you know, and, and making sure he stay laser focused. Mm -hmm. But here's my thing. Like, Brett Brown is in the meetings with Elton Brand during the offseason, making the offseason adjustments, uh, you know, know what kind of team he's building. You have to put together a plan. You have to put together, you know, uh, a strategic plan of how I'm going to put these guys in position to be successful. And I think that a lot of times, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons get all get criticized too much and a lot of criticism don't go towards Brett Brown. And that's just my honest opinion. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we see, because we're talking about player empowerment. Right. Okay. We got a guy in Joel Embiid who I believe is a star in this league. True. And I believe if he's healthy, he is a superstar. He's got that kind of skill, that athletic ability, that size, all of this stuff. Ben Simmons can't shoot. It is the only thing to me that he can't do. Right. Everything else, mm -hmm. and I mean everything else, his ball handling skills, his basketball IQ, his heart, his gut, his moxie, his defense, mm. which is exceptional. It is. The dude is the real deal. We look at what they are on the court. We think about the NBA, the global iconic brand that it is. We see how they resonate. People know who they are. They're in one of the top ten markets in the United States of America in Philadelphia, a town that the answer once elevated for a decade. Okay, we got all of that. So then you add to that the advent of social media with the personality of a Joel Embiid, right? And there are times that we look at these guys and we say, you know, we're quick to sit up there and we say, you know, these guys are pretty brilliant. They're pretty smart. Well, don't you think they know what Kendrick Perkins just said about Brad Brown? They know. They know what the problems are. And so to me, I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that Brett Brown can't coach or anything like that. I think he's a good man. I think that he's going through a lot because of that process. Process is a whole bunch of analytics folks in here. Let me be very, very clear. The process is a disgrace. I have never been a proponent of it. I have never liked it. I abhor it, and I abhor anybody who supports it. To sit up there, and I'm not accusing you of this. Sir. It's not about you. I've, I've been accused of much worse, yeah, but, by I'm, the way. but I'm not accusing you of this at all. Yes, so, you are. I'm, I swear I'm not. I swear I'm not. I swear I'm not. I'm not because he wasn't the one that I saw speak to a city and say, we're going to lose on purpose for years. Support us, which I think is an utter disgrace. Now, having said all of that, what I'm saying is that's years ago. Here we are now. Personnel decisions and what have you. I don't think they should have lost J.J. Redick, but they did. Because I think not just, not just his marksmanship, but his ability to move without the ball and force defenses to pay attention to him, which spreads defenses and opens up the floodgates for guys like Ben Simmons and Embiid. I think you don't lose Jimmy Butler, but that was on him. He wanted to go to South Beach. I ain't knocking him. But if you know what you are working with, there is a coach that is supposed to be able to step in. Now, I covered Larry Brown all six of his years in Philadelphia. Larry Brown is one of the greatest coaches this game has ever seen. I watched him take Allen Iverson and a bunch of folks most of y'all don't even know. You know George Lynch and Tyrone Eric Hill Snow. and Dikembe Mutombo after and, and, and Eric Snow and Aaron McKee. But Allen Iverson scored. Allen Iverson barely passed. He didn't play much defense even though he had steals. He was surrounded by dudes who did their 
job and facilitated him doing his job because Larry Brown, the coach, A, knew how to do that, and B, demanded it from the rest of those players. And they did their job. If you're a coach and you ain't playing, what the hell is your job? It's to maximize the potential that you have available to you. And I don't believe that is transpiring in Philadelphia. And when we talk about player empowerment, you're going to see power because I'm predicting that at the end of this season, if it falls short, and I hate to break it to you, but it will fall short. <laughs> What's going to happen is you're going to have people that are going to sit up there and say, Mike, Josh, whomever, we might need a change here. Book it. Okay, so here's what I'll say. I've patiently listened to each of you, and I'm excited for a date. It's April 18th. It's when the playoffs start. I think at least it's April 18th. <laughs> um, it is. To me, it's all about when you peak. And I got to tell you something. When I look at the foundation we have, I think the team has an incredible foundation. I do. I'm, I incredibly, do. I'm incredibly excited about where the team's heading. Um, and from my perspective, it's all about what do we do when it matters. Look, as a sports organization, and you mentioned Robert Kraft a few times, you know, we all look up and say, you're here for one reason, to win championships. Yes. And that's the only reason that you, you, when you're responsible, like Josh Harris and Dave Blitz are out for the Sixers and whatever involvement I have, you're responsible for doing one thing to bring championships to your city. And you want to do it year after year. And I think all of us aspire and you look and say, how do we get six Super Bowl championships like the Patriots have gotten? And for the Sixers, we need to get our first as an ownership group, and then our second, we need to keep getting them. And that's what everyone strives for. But I can tell you, I believe in the foundation we have, and I also believe that when it matters, this team is going to peak. And by the way, every organization, whether it's a business organization, whether it's a sports organization, whether it's a university, you work to how you consistently improve yourself. And that's how good organizations grow. And I got to tell you something, there are lots of things that we can all do better. ESPN can do better. Each of us can do better. The Sixers can do better. Fanatics can do better. And that's what makes good organizations if you keep bettering yourself. And I can promise you that every day that I wake up and go to bed, I think about how do we improve in everything that we do. So I like where we are. I think that we are going to peak uh, when it matters. And, um, and I think we're going to get consistent and get better. And I think that, and I think that you're right. And I think that you've got a lot to be proud of in Philadelphia because I think you've, stared, you've been steered in the right direction. But what I'm saying is not just about the Sixers, but about a plethora of teams in this league. The thing that's important, because for the purposes of discussion, when we talk about player empowerment, if players had the kind of power that we have alluded to, there'd be a few coaches out of a job. The fact of the matter is they don't have that power. And a lot of times, you've got guys, there's plenty of guys in the league that have jobs because of their relationships with people as opposed to their productivity. So let me and ask that's you. The, that's the thing you got to pay attention to. Well, let me ask you, should players have that power in your opinion? It depends I, on who the player is. By the way, he's 100% right. And you hate to say that you differentiate, but your most important assets in any business mm -hmm. and in a sports team, it's your most important players, their voice needs to be heard. And so any organization in sports that doesn't listen to their most important players is a poorly run organization. And you, I, think, I, I think I know you're pretty close with Joel in particular and that he has talked to you and your ownership in the past about various things. And how do you, how do you manage that so it's appropriate and it's, you know, how do, what's the balance there? Look, I, I think um, it's a fine line. And I think that in the way, you know, for me, I barely made it out of high school. I didn't go to college. I got a 780 on my SATs combined. I'm sure most people in this room got that on their math or English alone. <laughs> so to me, you've got to build great relationships with people and then figure out you know, what's appropriate, what's not. And I think um, if you have the right relationships with, um, you know, if our organization, if any of us have the right relationships with players, then you figure out how to work through issues. And by the way, many of those issues never become public because if you're good at doing these things, you, you, you kind of, you save catastrophes from happening. And I joke, I mean, it's, you know, we were talking about a mutual friend of ours, um, um, who the CEO of Rock Nation, she has a, a sign in her office that says, uh, it's something basically about, I mean, it, it's about, you know, crisis management. And, you know, every morning you wake up and every morning, you know, at night you go back to, to bed and, you know, you have fires that you put out on right. a daily basis. That's part of what we do in business and in sports. And many of those things you never see. And see, for me, relationships are important, but what kind of relationship you have. 
Like, for example, I think everybody knows. I think it's safe to assume I have a pretty damn good relationship with ESPN. I think, I, I think it's safe to assume that. I have a pretty damn good relationship with ESPN. They treat me well. But it's because I deliver. It's not because they like me, they like my suits, they like my smile. I deliver. And guess what? If I don't, I go. And by the way... I understand that, and that's what the relationship is predicated on. It's not predicated on we like each other. It's predicated on... Uh, it's important, but the first order of business is to handle business. And that's something that cannot be ignored. We can talk about cultivating relationships all we want to. But if I believe in you and I have faith in you and you suck, yeah. we got a <laughs> problem. And, that, and that's why I said you differentiate and you talked about whose voice it is. And are you going to listen to your star executives in a company or your star players on a team? Right. Absolutely. You're going to listen to the person that you have a good relationship with that's not productive? Definitely not. Right. Okay. I'm going to take some questions because we don't have a whole lot. Is that all right, Bobby? Am I, yeah, I should have done that a while ago. Sorry. But we're having a good discussion. Okay. Um, what comes next for a player such as LeBron James once he retires? How can he continue to use the power he has to impact the league? I'll give that to you, Kendrick. Um, when you look at LeBron James, he's a genius. Um, he, he really is. He's, he's very, very intelligent. He's a guy that he don't just send his agent or his assistant, his manager into business meetings. He's actually in there. When, he's, when, when it's up for him to do the Space Jam movies or he got a movie or a show coming out, he's in there. He's in there, you know, hey, we need to do things this way. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's a meeting with Warren Buffett, he's in that meeting. Um, I, I may say the sky's the limit for LeBron James once he retire. I think we'll, we will be talking about LeBron like we, we was talking about the great Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, uh, in his next career. Um, he's already building that. Uh, I think that's part of the reason that he moved to L.A., in all honesty. Um, he moved to L.A. to start building his second career. And when you look at him, I mean, the way I've been knowing LeBron James for uh, since the seventh grade, right? We played on the same AAU team, which now they made a rule that you cannot play on the same AAU team unless you're in a hundred mile radius right. because of the Oakland Soldiers. You know, it's a good I'm, rule. I'm from Texas, he's from Ohio. All of a sudden we playing on the Oakland yeah. Soldiers. I don't know, it don't make sense, right? But at the end of the day, um it's I, I'm I'm excited to see. I, I think it's is going to be his second career is going to be better than his uh, his first career, and that's hard to do because one thing that stands out to me, I remember LeBron James. We came in together in '03, and I remember him. He did an interview, and he was 18 years old, and he said that by the time I leave, by the time I retired the NBA, I want to be a billionaire, and he's a billionaire. Right. Like he's a billionaire. So, I'll tell you what, I, anyone I, that, that gets the chosen one tattooed on his back and then becomes the chosen one, I'm pretty impressed. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you something about LeBron. He's just getting started. I agree 100% with right. what you said. I think um, whatever you think of what he's done now, which is incredible, I think what he does in his next chapter will be equal or more incredible. And if, if you say he's a billionaire today, I think this is a guy who will make many billions of dollars in everything he does while making the world a better place. And to me, that's a really important combination because I see him leverage everything he's built to do so many different things, from great things in business to great things that, mm -hmm. to, to things that he cares deeply and personally about to make the world and the country a better place. Absolutely. And to me, there's no better combination. I think he's going to absolutely kill it I agree. in this next I chapter. I text him when all I... the time and I tell him, hey man, because we're good friends, great friends. We're brothers. I text him all the time and tell him, hey man, I hate you. I hate you because you really are the chosen one. Like, everything this guy touches go. And it's, yeah. like, seriously, like, he's really the chosen one. Now, let's and wait and see when you bring up the word gold. There is June coming up. Okay. Gold. This is a, this is a question fine. for you, Michael. Um, what does player empowerment look like I thought you said like we wasn't going to argue today. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Again, you two. Oh, I'm sorry. Go it's ahead. okay. What does player empowerment look at? It seems to me like the NBA is the gold standard of empowerment. I know you're involved with an NHL team. If you could just compare it to other sports, which I don't know if you really even can because of the structure, well, you, salary cap, yeah. and so on. 
Look, I think the culture of the NBA is the most forward-thinking. And I really start, look, it starts with Adam Silver. He's an, an incredible commissioner. Um, I think Adam creates a culture that encourages players to um, speak up on issues that they care about, to do things that are important to them, to find out, you know, to, to, to really, um, you know, he really does encourage people to, you know, to, to empower them in every way, shape, and form. And I think that the NBA is really special from that perspective. I think sports in the future is going to follow that lead. I think you're going to find, you know, look, the world's completely different today. With social media today, you talk about LeBron. If LeBron wanted to start a new footwork company today, well, he's got this incredible partnership with Nike with a couple hundred million followers on social media between Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, he could build his own footwork business direct right. to consumer. So athletes in 2020 have so much uh, power from social media and their ability to, to uh, you know, to work with cons you know fans directly. So, from my perspective, I think the NBA has been ahead of the game, and I think sports in general is going to continue to encourage their their players to be more more um, you know forward in, in all of their views. I might shock you oh. with what I'm about to say. We agree? No. <laughs> Not that we don't we don't disagree. I get what you're saying, and I agree with everything that you just said about the NBA. But as it pertains to the subject of player empowerment, those two operative words, player empowerment, I believe the NBA should be jealous of Major League Baseball. Let me explain. You have players that obviously they're more entrenched in social media. They've ingratiated themselves with the young demographic. The young demographic follows them, et cetera, et cetera. And when they speak, the world listens. We get all of that. But they still have to capitulate to some degree to the brand that is the NBA under its umbrella. You got to monitor and watch what you say, how you say it, et cetera, et cetera. Don't get me started with the NFL. We know the shield supersedes any one individual player. We don't even need to discuss that. Now let's transition over to Major League Baseball. When you talk about antitrust legislation, they've always had that to their benefit for decades, okay? We understand that about Major League Baseball. Everybody else came to the party later. No matter what happens in the sport, unlike any other sport, they get to police themselves. They get to tell you, excuse me, you don't matter. We will handle this ourselves. Let's take example with the latest controversy involving the Houston Astros. So let me get this straight. You develop a mechanism that you place out in center field that gives you an unfair advantage over every other team in Major League Baseball. You are clearly cheating, period. And you negotiate immunity. Who the hell does that in sports? When did that happen? Not one player. Now, mind you, you got the manager fired, the general manager fired, the former bench coach who became the head man, the manager of the Boston Red Sox, he got fired. Carlos Beltran was a player on the bench for the Houston Astros, became the manager for the New York Mets, got fired before spring training, before he had one spring training, because he was a manager. But no single player suffered because you negotiated that. For years, we talked about Major League Baseball's Players Association, not now. But years ago, how powerful they were. We sit, got, oh, they're going to throw a 95-mile-per-hour pitch at them. They're going to hit them in the arm or the head or something like that. We'll police ourselves. And the American public has allowed them to get away with it for decades. If this were the National Football League, Roger Goodell wouldn't have granted no damn player immunity. If this was Adam Silver and players were cheating or doing something like that, don't get me started with what former Commissioner David Stern would have done. God rest his soul. But somehow, some way, Major League Baseball, the players, you got players appalled right. by the immunity that was granted. It wouldn't happen anywhere else, but it happens in Major League Baseball. Now, if that ain't power, I don't know what. No, that's it. An the only thing I'd say is, yeah. is that really better for Major League Baseball? I don't think it is. That's my point. But I'm talking about playing power. See, I, that think, better. I think baseball underestimated how this has been received by the public. Sure. Because I think, you know, I live here in Boston, and Boston may or may not be embroiled in this scandal. Very possibly. They probably are. Probably are. <laughs> he sa says the New Yorker. Anyway, um, and. I, I've heard for the first time ever, Fenway Park is as much an experience as it is an actual sporting event. And I've, for the first time, I've heard people saying, I'm just not going this year. So I think, I think baseball has underestimated how much this is going to hurt their brand because they already have trouble drawing in young people. That's true. Major League Baseball. And it's going to hurt the brand. But yep. 
The players kept their money. They kept their championship rings. The commissioner in Major League Baseball did not fly to Houston and confiscate that championship trophy from 2017. So basically, you're losing PR. Right. But I will say this, though, Stephen A. Smith. I agree with you. But the NBA has taken major strides over the last five or six years as far as playing. Oh, I agree. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I... And I also believe that we have the best commissioner in the world. I agree with that. And Adam Silver. He's the only that. probably only commissioner that he actually exchanged numbers with players. Like right. you could call him direct. You you don't see that in sports. I, I mean, from your superstar to your 15 guy on the roster. So and that's what makes the NBA so special. Yes. Right. And that, that's why you talk about them being a forward league. And that's why right. I start by saying it all starts at the top with Adam. You need to give Adam credit for that. And that's the culture that I think makes the NBA a really well-run sport that I think will continue to pull um, the sports industry globally forward. We, That's why the great Mr. It. Kraft and all the owners, they tried to steal them from him, but we wasn't having it. Uh-uh. <laughs> all right, I think we have time for one more question. Um, I'm going to give you this question, but I think I already know the answer. But I'm going to, Stephen A., I'm coming to you. Do you believe that the John Beeline situation in Cleveland is a negative side effect of player empowerment and how can new and inexperienced coaches earn the opportunity to prove themselves in a player's first league? Well, first of all, I think that's a bad example. I don't think that was um, a bad example of player empowerment at all. John Beeline never deserved to be the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. A matter of fact, I recall when it was announced, like get up on ESPN, Mike Greenberg's show in the morning with Laura Rutledge and everybody. They literally have breaking news or whatever. And I literally, they had me on the next segment. I said, what the hell is wrong with y'all? Why is that breaking news? Who gives a damn that John Beeline is the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers? First of all, the Cleveland Cavaliers are irrelevant because LeBron James ain't there. Secondly, and more importantly, this man was in his 60s coaching at the University of Michigan. He did a hell of a job there. But excuse me, there was nothing that you saw in him that justified him being the choice. With all of these young coaches out here flat out starving for an opportunity to coach on the NBA that has gone through that terrain and has gone for decades waiting for an opportunity. You're just going to bypass all of those dudes to bring some dude at Michigan. I mean, this, this ain't Nick Saban or Urban Meyer or somebody we talking about here. This was John Beeline. And so to me, the players literally saying he doesn't vibe with us. We're not feeling him. He isn't the right man to this job. That's just, to me, that's just common sense. But but Stephen A. C. that goes to another point that we talked about earlier, is that when you have great organizations, you have good organizations, yeah. you have terrible organizations. And there's no disrespect, but when you have the great organizations, like the Spurs, nobody's gonna knock the Spurs. They're a great organization. They have been for years since I've been in the league. I just found out, I just, I had to Google two years ago who was the Spurs owner. I never seen his face. I never seen him around. Oh, and that's that's the difference. See, a lot of the times, especially with the beeline hiring, that was Dan Gilbert hiring, right? That was his hire. A lot of times when Dan Gilbert go with his gut, nine times out of ten, he's wrong, right? But that's a whole nother story. But the great owners, the great owners put guys in position and they fall back and let those guys do their job. And then what happened? You have success. That's what you do. All right. Okay. Somebody needs to tell James Dolan stop sitting courtside. I thought you said you weren't talking about him no more. Why do you I keep bringing it up? Listen, what I, what I actually realized, <laughs> I meant to bring you a Sixers jersey to make this official. We're going to offer you a great opportunity to make your life happier, to bring you joy for the future, and to finally give up the Knicks become a diehard Sixers fan, and we will reward you in every way possible. Well, Stephen A. I'm going to think about that. No, Stephen A. That's how much I'm suffering right now. I'm going to think about that. It's a good offer. I'm going to think about it. Think about how happy your life could be in the future without having to suffer the way you're currently suffering. But what about not just go over to the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, all of these things, all options are on the table when the alternative is James Dolan. There's a competition, but I just want you to know, we will work hard for your fandom. To make, you, to make you really appreciate it for years to come and to be a happy person when you wake up and go to bed. <laughs> I was and not happy. suffer. I was There'll be so many other things you could suffer from. It shouldn't be your basketball team. You know, if you really, really think about it, a native New Yorker, <laughs> I got the Giants, the Jets, the Mets, <laughs> the Knicks. I mean, damn. 
<laughs> it's just, it's, it's not fair. It just isn't. You're, you're talking to the wrong person. I live in Titletown, baby. <laughs> All right, we're done. It's time to go. It's time to go. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.